0: Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss primary care medical homes with the patient-centered primary care collaboratives, Dr. Marcy Nielsen. Welcome, Marcy. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: As always, let's begin with some background. As noted in this podcast introduction, the medical home model has been around for several decades. More recently, however, this healthcare practice improvement model has garnered considerable attention since medical homes are designed to provide care clinicians frequently, if not notoriously, fail short of accomplishing. That is delivering healthcare that's comprehensive, coordinated, and continuous during the patient's life course, or in some care that is more proactive than reactive. Advocates believe the PCMH, again, primary care medical home, will improve the quality of care delivery and patient outcomes, avoid or reduce the need for more expensive medical interventions, and generate payer savings. The model is prominently noted in the Affordable Care Act. By one count, it's mentioned 80 times in the law. With me to discuss what exactly is a primary care medical home, how it's reimbursed, what does the research show regarding the model improving care and reducing costs, and what challenges there are in successfully implementing a PCMH is, again, the PCPCC's Marcy Nielsen. Marcy's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast's website introduction, and finally, as I always say, the interviewees' comments are their own. Marcy, let's start with a brief description of your organization. What is the patient-centered primary care collaborative?
1: Well, for starters, it is perhaps the longest acronym and mouthful um, PCPCC. But as as you note, and all of this information can be found online, we were founded in about 2006, and our founders were essentially the four primary care physician organizations, plus IBM and some other large employers who said they, they wanted to build a health system uh, from an efficient framework of primary care and this model of care that you're referring to called the patient-centered medical home. We're a broad coalition. We're a not-for-profit. We include clinicians of all kinds of backgrounds, physicians, nurses, social workers, pharmacists, et cetera, um, together with employers and other payers, so health plans, um, some unions, uh, together with consumers, other folks from the health industry, and basically, since 2006, we've been working together to, as you point out, get a language in federal statute around patient-centered medical homes, as well as state statute, but also to really work with the private sector to advance this model of care.
0: Great, great. Uh, though there are an agreed-upon set of PCMH principles, there is no standard definition of a medical home, nor a specific list of practice elements, nevertheless, Can you describe how a primary care medical home is different, or how is the PCMH care different or better?
1: You bet. So there there are some definitions, although not everybody agrees on on the same ones. We started with what was called the joint principles of of the patient-centered medical home, again, founded by the the physician organizations that I mentioned. But the AHRQ has really helped evolve those principles to, to five key functions or or features of, of a medical home, they too are included in our report. It starts most importantly with this notion of being patient-centered or person-centered. And that is care that is based on the needs and wishes and preferences of the patient and recognizing that people aren't merely a, a collection of body parts or diseases. Um, so a whole person. A whole person, very, very important concept. And yet in our fragmented medical system, Um, we so often treat people as a disease or an illness versus a person. Um, The second piece that is very important from a primary care perspective is this notion of comprehensiveness. So are we taking care of individuals and their families through this holistic lens of not only whole person care, but using a whole team of folks who can address this person's needs, and that includes social needs, that includes behavioral health needs, recognizing, um, as, as Paul Grundy likes to say, we shouldn't separate the head from the body. Are we including um, mental health, oral health, ocular health? Um, so this notion of comprehensiveness is important and comprehensiveness over a person's life course. The next thing is, are we offering care that is accessible? So many folks wind up going for, for care in an emergency department because their primary care office or their specialist office is closed after five p m and there aren 't weekend hours. So what is care that is truly accessible for the patient? Can I access uh, via email or over the telephone or through an app device? is care um, properly using all the various elements of communication that allow it to be truly accessible. Um, The next component is coordinated care. And this is where I think folks who, who are feeling well in general care deeply about how accessible their primary care physician is. But when you aren't well, when you are sick, you care deeply about how coordinated the potentially very complicated set of health um, practitioners you need to see, and so primary care that is well coordinated is uh, very important for those patients and their and their families. And of course, we see it keeps people out of the emergency departments, etc. And then finally, are we using a whole framework around our primary care? Uh, and specialty care delivery system that is really committed to safety and quality? Are we using electronic health records and registries to see who happens to need um, their immunizations? Who's diabetic? Who hasn't had their A1Cs or their eyes examined recently? Um, are we focusing on a systems approach to healthcare um, instead of an individual, fragmented, myopic perspective, and not really using data to help us drive
0: improvement? Okay, All right. So great in theory. So let's go to <laughs> let's go to practice. Uh, though there have been over a hundred primary care. A medical home demonstrations testing a variety of medical home designs and populations. Uh, the jury is still out, or research remains mixed, uh, regarding the evidence for PCMHs improving patient outcomes and lowering costs. So then let's discuss the evidence. Your organization recently released its 2014 annual quote-unquote annual update of the evidence report. So what does it show about effectiveness of primary care medical homes? Sure. Well, I guess I might have a friendly amendment to your suggestion that
1: the evidence is is mixed. I would say that the evidence is still early, and there's still a lot to learn about what's working and not working within the medical home. And the longer a medical home has actually been implemented and evaluated, the more we learn about its effectiveness. And so the news is very good. um, And from a research perspective, the face validity around this model makes perfect sense. So if you're offering care that is accessible and comprehensive and coordinated and committed to quality and safety and whole person-ness, would that care be better or worse than if we had fragmented, uncoordinated, (laughs) non accessible care, right? So, So I think starting from this premise of yeah, each of the pieces makes sense, but how does it all fit together and then what does the evidence tell us? The evidence, when we, when we say the evidence is early, if you implement this model and you truly transform a practice from when that patient first walks in the door or makes the phone call to the practice to the moment when the physician is working with that patient in a very person-centered way and helping coordinate their care when they perhaps have to go to the hospital or or into a long-term care situation. What we find is the longer they've been at it, the better they become, but it is not easy work. And when you assess whether or not this model works early in the transformation process, um, what we see on the front end is one, when you use care coordinators well, you see emergency department use go down pretty quickly, typically within, within the first year or two. And accordingly, you can also see some cost savings fairly early on. It takes a little bit longer before you see changes in patient experience of care because patients aren't always brought into this process. So the average patient does not understand the behind the scenes view of healthcare delivery. When a patient-centered practice says, we want to tell you about the new kind of care we're offering, and we want to get your feedback on it, and we'd like to explain it to you and why we think you'll like it better, they have far better patient satisfaction numbers, um, patient engagement, than when they leave the patient out of the equation altogether. But if you step even further back, the end goal shouldn't just be, well, how do we save money out of the ED or the hospital? Or how do we even make a patient happier? At the end of the day, are we healthier as a population? Because we in, we're investing a lot of money in this model. And what we find is that takes even a, a little bit longer. But you can quickly see when you, in a very targeted way, focus on, for example, hemoglobin A1Cs, blood pressure, when you focus on some some sort of quality metrics that, that either look toward immunizations and cancer screenings. Um, you can have an impact in fairly short order. The study that you're referring to, which which I hope folks do go and take a look at, we looked at the last 16 months of data around patient-centered medical homes, um, and we looked in two different places. One, we looked to the peer-reviewed literature, and we looked at only those studies that were looking comprehensively at the PCMH. So does this model of care, as the predictor variable, actually impact the triple aim as the outcome variable. And of course, the triple aim is lower costs, better patient experience, better population health. When we use those exclusion criteria, we found 13 peer-reviewed studies and we found seven industry studies. And in general, the news is quite good, although kind of lopsided, because we're focused on cost and utilization and we're not focused so much on patient experience of care And we weren't focused almost at all
0: on whether clinicians liked this model. Let me me just interrupt you and say, so the point well taken about improved timeliness of care and appropriateness of care, let's go with the cost issue. You did mention reductions in ED, emergency department, and hospitalizations and or rehospitalizations. Let's then again go to cost. So first let me ask, um, this varies as well, how are primary care medical homes reimbursed?
1: Well, it's a very important question because it, in many ways, is the fundamental difference between how the old model of primary care was reimbursed and accordingly practiced versus what we hope to be the new model of primary care and and how it's organized in practice. Old model is fee for service, FFS, and what that basically means is the more patients you see, the faster you see them, and the more procedures you do, the more you get paid as a provider. We know from lots of years of scientific evidence that isn't better health care. Patients don't like it as much because they're being rushed through uh, an office visit where the doctor may be having to see 30 patients a day. We're trying to move away from that model to one that pays based on quality and based on Value over volume, and that value needs to incorporate quality metrics. So, are we taking care of that diabetic, looking at all of their both preventive needs as well as medical needs and potentially behavioral health needs? Um, And how do we pay for that and still see as many patients as we used to? Well, there's only really one way to get from here to there, and that is we need to utilize a team approach that asks everyone to practice at the top of their skill set. So the physician is working with those patients that have the most complicated set of illnesses or conditions. They're fully utilizing a nurse practitioner, a social worker, a medical assistant, um, whoever else the patient needs to have on their team. Um, and, And this is truly transformative kind of work. It is one that requires the physician themselves to delegate, to work across a team, requires everyone else on the team to feel truly empowered. But everyone's gotta be in agreement that that the focus has to be on the patient first and foremost, and what that patient wants to accomplish, not just in that particular visit, but over the course of time. And we so often aren't meeting that mark, which is an important metric, I think, to determine whether the public truly embraces this model of care. Quite frankly, most folks in the public don't know or haven't heard of a patient-centered medical home. They think of medical home and maybe think of nursing home. Um, so we've got a lot of work to do on that front. And so when back to your initial question of what does the evidence tell us? Well, what the evidence tells us is the model can work. It can save money. It can improve some of these outcomes. But if the public doesn't understand it and accept it, we really haven't done our work either as an organization or as, as a health community who truly believes we have a broken healthcare system today. We pay double any other industrialized country and have worse health outcomes. How can we have a more efficient, effective healthcare system? This is a model of care that is truly transformative, but we got to go back to what the patient needs and we got to pay differently.
0: So a point well taken that it can be the case that patients either unaware or they're actually disoriented by this model of care. That's right. And that's a downside, and that gets to the patient satisfaction engagement issue. But there are incentives that are paid to encourage this form of care beyond, mm-hmm. so again, per your earlier point about moving away from fee-for-service. So mm-hmm. how are the providers incentivized? Well,
1: uh- Unfortunately, we we haven't seen a major shift in the marketplace. So right now, we've got mostly folks still getting paid in a fee-for-service system, plus they get a care management fee, which is often um, referred to as a per-member, per-month payment that sits on top of that fee-for-service payment. Now, that care management fee ranges anywhere from a buck 50 to what the CPCI project is which is the comprehensive primary care initiative which is paying providers 20 bucks per member per month to change how they deliver these services now 20 bucks is a lot different from a buck 50 so what are you buying when you're buying a, a a care coordination management fee you are buying all of the pieces that aren't reimbursed today So for example, providers aren't reimbursed for making telephone calls. They're not reimbursed for coordinating care between offices, between primary care uh, and specialists. Um, They aren't reimbursed for telemedicine visits. They aren't reimbursed for group visits. So the care coordination fee is meant to pay for all of those things that aren't paid in the current system. But we frankly don't know exactly what that fee needs to be to sustain a practice over time. And so what providers are very concerned about is, I'm going to make all these changes in my practice. Please tell me you're going to pay me better, differently, um, and that this model is going to continue over time because if I make all these shifts and I'm not going to get reimbursed for these changes, it's going to be really hard for me to keep my doors
0: open. And there is the possibility, and there is also at times a component where they're rewarded for improved or quality outcomes. The, a matter of fact they
1: they ought to be in every case so let 's use the CPCI as an example. Um, you must report on milestones met, very specific metrics as defined by the Centers for Medicare and, and Medicaid services um, but these these metrics differ based on whoever is asking you to whoever the payer is is. and if you go for example for accreditation or certification um, you may have one set of criteria things you need to report on versus if you live in a state like Michigan where Blue Cross Blue Shield Michigan is really the leader and does accrediting of their own practices um, you need to provide all of those quality metrics to that payer
0: so if you meet your quality metric you can get a quality performance bonus
1: you can indeed and I think the the practices who are most motivated to make these changes have care management fees plus this component of shared savings. And we would argue, wouldn't it be interesting if we actually let the patients participate in some sort of incentive program? Maybe it's not the shared savings. I mean, the patient gets paid. The patient either gets paid or has a reduction in health insurance premiums. That takes us to the benefit redesign piece of this puzzle. We're really more focused on the the healthcare delivery reforms, but when we do this well, and our friends uh, at the University of Michigan would say, when we think about peanut butter plus jelly, we do healthcare delivery reforms, plus we change how we ask consumers to buy health insurance so that they are incentivized to use patient-centered medical homes, to get all of their preventive services, and to focus on their self-engagement
0: in health. So you did mention uh, several of the benefits. One, for physicians, that there's a potential for lowering the patient load so the physician can see fewer patients or the patient visits can be longer. There are several challenges uh, to this model, one of which is it requires or prerequisite is that uh, preferably, certainly PCMH practices have electronic medical records Mm -hmm. or fairly evolved health information technology. But the one nut, let me ask you about, that seems to be tough to crack, and that is physicians historically have been a sole practitioner, meaning they just see the patient solely, or the the care delivery is what's termed physician-centric. Going to a team-based collaborative, uh, or what's called shared care, is a fundamental change in how care is delivered. So in your experience in trying to move this model, what's sort of your impression about physicians being able to accept or to change and to provide less of physician-centric care? Well, physicians are
1: notoriously stubborn, and so this really is a hard nut to crack. And much of it sort of begins with where the physician trained, when they trained, what their experience has been in terms of working across a team. What we tend to find is that physicians in training now wouldn't consider working in any other model except a team-based model because, in fact, they do get to spend more time with their patients and you feel like part of a bigger, broader um, collective that is focused on health and the weight of the world isn't on your shoulders. But for those physicians who have been at this for a while, who live in rural Kansas, um, who have been able to, to offer care for decades, and maybe we're a little hesitant, or are still hesitant, to have electronic health records. This is harder for them to embrace until they actually do it. Now, if you ask them when they're in the middle of the transformation, the vast majority of them um, are crabby uh, because it is—it's literally paradigm shifting. But what they find, and this is the wonderful thing about physicians, is when their patients are happy they're happy. And when they are able to spend as much quality time with their patients um, in this model of care, regardless of who pays, um, what we find is they too ultimately come to like the model. And they've got collaborators who can uh, assist them or be the lead on for example, diabetes education. Does it have to be the physician who is teaching that diabetic how to to monitor their blood sugar? Actually, the doctor wants to have a healing relationship with the patient. That doesn't mean they need to be on the phone coordinating with the specialist themselves or talking to the health plan or even doing sort of the nuts and bolts health education. They find themselves in the position of being that healer who gets to spend quality time with their patient it can take some of them longer than others to, to get to that happy place.
0: Great. Well, with that, Marcy said to say we're already at our time boundary. So I appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you. My pleasure.